Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas on how to lead your church into the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Now, here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast. Today, I am welcoming Craig Greenfield to the show. Craig is a founder and director of Alongsiders International, a grassroots movement of young Christians reaching the world's poorest children. Originally from New Zealand, he has lived and worked for more than two decades in marginalized communities in Asia and North America. He is the author of The Urban Halo and Subversive Jesus. Let's welcome Craig to the show. All right, welcome to the show. Today I am joining, or excuse me, I'm joined by Craig Greenfield. So thanks for being here, Craig. Anything else you'd like our listeners to know about you? Thanks, Lauren. Uh, It's great to be with you. Um, As you can probably tell from my accent, uh, I was not born in the United States. I was actually born in Canada to immigrant parents, but grew up in New Zealand. So that explains my accent. Great. And uh, Craig is actually joining me in this conversation from about the farthest distanced uh, interview I probably recorded to this point in Cambodia, mm-hmm. at, as I understand, 9 p.m. local time. That's right. So if we have some background distractions, uh, this is part of the part of the deal. That's right. Roosters or people driving past selling food, you might hear some yeah. background noises. Yeah. Well, uh, share if you would, Craig, kind of about your journey of faith, what that looked like initially and what that looks like today. Sure. Well, um, I I grew up in New Zealand, as I said, and I grew up actually in the church. Um, My parents were missionaries. My grandparents were missionaries. So it goes way back. Um, But I grew up with a very, and probably like a lot of folks, a very personalized kind of individualized faith. So very much about me and God, very much about about that individual kind of Western perspective on faith. And um, it wasn't until moving to Cambodia that I realized that that necessarily wasn't the worldview that everybody has and is perhaps mm. not even um, a very biblical worldview. And so it's been mm. a long journey. Um, mm-hmm. f- first went to Cambodia 25 years ago. It's been a very long journey of kind of, you know, um, unpacking some of my cultural baggage and coming to see the gospel in new ways through new eyes. And, um, yeah, it's been a good one. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, what is what has been some spiritual practices that have been meaningful for you? Well, I think part of that journey um, from that individualized faith into more of a communal faith has just been um, some of these communal practices. So, actually, after seven years of living in the slums in Cambodia, uh, we actually moved to inner city Vancouver, Canada, and started mm-hmm. a started a Christian community there that welcomed in those from the streets and struggling with addiction. And one of our practices was to have both morning kind of reflections and prayer. And then in the evening, um, coming together, often it would be, it would actually be at 9 p.m. It would be at this time of night for me. 
And um, no matter who was there, we would kind of make the announcement. There'd often be people there who were, you know, homeless or whatever. We'd make the announcement, this is our kind of closing prayer time. And then we'd Mm -hmm. have a time of singing some Teze. I don't know if you're familiar with Teze, these kind of very repetitive, scriptural, one-line songs. And then the Ignatian Examine, which is just a way Mm. of reflecting on where was God's light during our day. And for mm-hmm. me, kind of, um, you know, there's times in our life when we're when we're spiritually dry, or you know, it's ups and downs. At least for me, it is. Um, mm-hmm. But those yeah. communal practices kind of create a structure and a rhythm to life that, for me, has been very life giving. And um, I, I love it. I love that kind of having some framework or scaffolding around my faith that others carry me along when I'm not really feeling up to it myself. Yeah, I'm hearing that more and more, I feel like, of course, anecdotally, mm. but I I feel like that's such a good point in, like you say, this individualized faith emphasis in, in Western cultures mm. where, you know, our spirituality and our feelings of closeness to God are so often dependent on our own efforts and, emph- you know, yeah. feelings where yeah. conversely, like you say, these rituals and practices and communal practices really kind of do the work for us or help us along the work. I don't know what words you'd want to use exactly, but Mm, mm, really mm. help sustain us. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like I've seen a cartoon where you have a group of maybe four people and they have their arms around each other's shoulders. And there's times Mm -hmm. when, you know, one or two of us is walking over a hole or something, but because we're all holding each other up, we get past it. We get past those stumbling blocks. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Thanks for sharing that. Well, I had Craig on the show to talk about his book, Subversive Mission, Serving as Outsiders in a World of Need. And uh, I should say, give a shout out here. Craig was introduced to me from uh, Jason Porterfield, who I had on earlier. Mm-hmm. And uh, Craig, mm-hmm. glad it was, was great to connect with you and then check out your book. Um, really enjoyed reading it. Share if you would kind of what inspired the book and what brought it to be. Yeah, well, um, you know, as I said, I grew up in a, with a very kind of individualized faith. Um, but what, what I'm seeing about this generation is that this is a generation that's very much passionate about justice. And mm-hmm. um, when we kind of reflect on the world, uh, look at the ways that we have not always done things so well, um, look at you know, reflect on colonialism in the past. We've all mm-hmm. read When Helping Hurts. Uh, we, we all have a sense yeah. of how badly things can go. Um, and, and that's good because we need those new perspectives. We need learning. Um, but the reality is now that this is a generation that is, that is paralyzed about what our role looks like in the world. Um, hmm. We're paralyzed about what it looks like to serve in the world. And I do believe that God is still calling us to love our neighbors, whether they're across the street, across the border, or across the world. And that, that, that command, that invitation from Jesus has not changed. And so paralysis in the face of that, in the face of the struggles of our brothers and sisters around the world is, is, uh, I believe we're falling short of what, what Jesus wants for us. Um, so how do we take on board all of the lessons and learning and the passion for justice, which I share while mm-hmm. not giving up on the sense of how do we love our neighbors? Hmm. Hmm. How do you, if I can, if I can ask this, how do you see, where do you see that paralysis, as you say, playing out? Like, mm, and I'm curious, because mm. I've I've kind of 
that, that resonates with me a little bit where I'm wondering, like, in my mind, I see like spinning wheels, mm-hmm. like a lot of energy and effort around obviously justice and equality, mm-hmm. but sometimes we don't always see effective, impactful efforts. Is that track with what you're thinking? Yeah, I mean, cer- certainly critique is is a big part of how our generation kind of views the world. And so, right. uh, you know, no one wants to be a white savior or a savior of any color. Um, right. And so we'd rather do nothing than do anything and or get it wrong. Um, hmm. You know, it's so interesting to me. I, I Just because of the weird space that I inhabit, I'm often, you know, speaking at a missions conference one weekend. And then the mm-hmm. next weekend speaking at the justice conference I've spoken at a couple of different mm-hmm. justice conferences and very, very different crowds, eh? Very, very yeah. different. Yeah. Um, and yet two crowds that are both passionate about seeing God's shalom come in this world and mm-hmm. uh, just using different language, um, using perhaps different approaches. But um, I don't think we're as far apart from each other as, as we might think. And um, mm. my, my, when I meet with leaders of missions agencies or missions committees, I, I encourage them to honestly, uh, to ditch the word missions, to ditch the word missionary. I think okay. for this generation, those terms yeah. hold far too much baggage. Um, right. Yeah, you're going to have a, you're going to have a fight on your hands with the older generation for sure. Right. Um, but for this generation, um, I think those words have kind of passed their use by date, to be honest. Yeah. This was a question I was thinking about is the word missionary and is the practice of missions, broadly speaking, at least, you know, 20th century missions. I mean, there's, there's some I've read who've, who've said or suggested that the, the, the whole endeavor itself is just, you know, entrenched in colonialism. Do you think there's a way to, you know, is the whole, this is a big question perhaps, you know, is the whole endeavor um, salvageable, I guess, apart from colonialism? Um. Look, I I would say yes. Um, many okay. would say no. Uh, I would say right. yes with with huge caveats, and, and this is yeah. really why I wrote this book because, yeah. um, you know, if I could just you know trace this back to the birth of Jesus under the census. So Jesus mm-hmm. was born in the shadow of empire, right? And the census right. is taking right. place. Empires hold a census because they want to know how much taxes they can collect and how many soldiers they can co-opt. So it's about money and power, mm-hmm. taxes, yeah. money. Power soldiers. So Jesus is born in the in the shadow of these twin pillars of money and power, and um, and yet Jesus brings the very opposite of that with his upside down kingdom, very opposite approach. And in fact, in Luke three, John the Baptist calls two specific groups to repentance: um, the tax collectors and the soldiers. And mm. so Jesus's whole ministry is about rejecting the use of money and power. Now, where throughout history we have gone wrong, it's usually tied up with these two things, the way that we use money and power. And that's, that's at the heart of why colonialism is part of a big part of why colonialism is so wrong and so off track is because of the ways that money and power are used. And so when we reflect on missions and look at how money and power are used very much in the same ways often, that's where we've also gone wrong. And so I believe that if we can strip away and critique our practices um, through those lenses and put on in in its place this upside-down Jesus uh, lens, and I actually use the framework in Ephesians 4, the the fivefold ministry, to look at each of those 
in the light of what it could look like going forward. And I, this book is really a framework of how we can serve in the world as outsiders, a world that is still, you know, very much in need, that we need to be in solidarity with our brothers and sisters, but without carrying these twin things of empire in our hands, of money and power. And that's mm. the challenge for us as Westerners mm-hmm. because we're very often blind to our own. Um, right. You know, some people use the word privilege. Some people don't like that word. Yeah. But it's literally just yeah. we're blind to our own money and power and the dangers of those in the world. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for thanks for engaging that with me. Uh, you mentioned the the five uh, the five types mm. from Ephesians, which you highlight is a big part of your book here. So let's talk through those if we can. Sure. Um, the first one is apostle, and you you suggest a reframing from apostle to catalyst. So why don't mm. we kind of just talk through each each of those if you don't mind. Yeah, so what I I want to suggest is that we are just very honest about the fact that we are outsiders. Uh, We're Mm -hmm. never going to be insiders. I've lived here in Cambodia for many, many years. Uh, I've just done another stint of nine years. Um, I speak the language fluently. I understand the culture quite well. I'm married to a Cambodian. I'll never be an insider. And so mm-hmm. the roles, the biblical roles that are outlined in Ephesians 4, I believe are roles for insiders. So maybe okay. in, in my context, whether it's New Zealand or Canada, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. apostolic. I have that pioneering, um, you know, instigating, entrepreneurial gifting. Well, when I get on that plane and come to Cambodia or India or Kenya or some other place where I'm an outsider or or even maybe just domestically um, going to another place where I'm a cultural outsider. Um, Mm -hmm. What I want to suggest is that we take off that cap that goes with being an insider as a catalyst, as an apostle, Mm -hmm. and put on Mm -hmm. the cap of a catalyst who comes alongside local people and helps them to give birth to the vision that God has placed in their hearts as local apostolically gifted because that they they're the ones who need to carry this forward they, they're the ones who need to have this sense of ownership and responsibility to nurture this new vision that God is laying on their hearts that that's whether you're planning a church or planning a new initiative if local yeah. people don't own that from the very beginning um, then you're going to have a real tough time getting that sense of ownership when you want to have time to pass it over yeah and that's certainly the again from my perspective at least the the model of missions that we've seen is that mm-hmm. of the apostle you know coming in with solutions and answers yeah uh, and driving um let's talk about the next one here from prophet to ally yeah um this one resonates with me um as i said i'm passionate about issues of justice um mm-hmm. i believe that we do need gifted, um, God-anointed people to speak truth to power. Um, now, when I come to Cambodia, and I, as, I, as I mentioned earlier, I've lived in, in the slums and urban poor communities for many years. And mm-hmm. in fact, my family and I have been evicted from two different slums along with our neighbors. Um, and that wow. just frankly, that impacts me and my family very differently to the way it impacts my neighbors. Yeah, it's devastating yeah. for me, but... Um, it's even more devastating and, um, you know, life-threatening for my neighbors. And I remember after we were evicted from our second slum, one of the young women, one, one of the young Cambodian women who was being evicted 
she took four of her friends down. They dragged their beds, their bamboo beds, down to the middle of the busiest intersection in Cambodia, uh, just uh, crying out, saying, "We have nowhere to lay our heads, so we'll we'll lay them mm. right here, and you can deal with wow. us because you've taken our homes." So just a, just mm-hmm. an absolute act of both desperation and courage, and you can just imagine the, the you know the dust flying, the horns honking, and then the soldiers the boots of the soldiers as they run towards these women and drag them into a van and take them off and arrest them. Well, Mm. see, if you think, if you reflect on that, you know, her role was to speak out prophetically against the injustice that she was, that was being foisted upon her. My role is not to uh, necessarily lead the protest march or to uh, put my bed in the middle of the intersection. Usually my role as an ally is going to be how do I amplify her voice? How do I amplify her story hmm. beyond the circles in, of influence that she has, which are, you know, she doesn't speak English, so it's it's only Cambodians. Um, whereas I have this much wider network. And so as right. an ally, I can amplify her voice and I can only do that because I'm living in, in connection and in solidarity with her. And I see the issues that she's struggling with and to some extent have some experience of them myself. So that's a little bit of a difference. It's just a difference in posture, isn't it? The, the prophet needs to be at the center. The allies yeah. come. The allies come from the side. We're, we're not the superheroes. We're the sidekicks. Yeah, yeah. Let me ask this follow-up question, if I may. I think... Um, a challenge or a critique perhaps might be that I've heard is, you know, the ally to use that frame kind of, uh, what's the word taking the voice of, or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, how do you, how do you do it? So yeah. that when you're amplifying their voice, not your voice, and you're not kind yeah. of stealing their story, so to speak. Yeah, for sure. And and it's a tough line to walk. Um, yeah. What I would suggest is if we are amplifying their voice, then um, there's a sense in which we are helping people to see both the tragedy and the resilience of their situation. Mm -hmm. Um, So both the good news and the bad news. So the sense that, wow, it's tragic what's happening to her. Um, It's tragic that she's being, you know. But if we leave it at that, it's just kind of like, oh, what a pathetic victim she is. Um, But if we pair that with her resilience and her strength and her courage and we amplify that and put a spotlight on that, we're not uh, not on our own, you know, not on what anything I'm doing, but on what she's doing, then we're also giving that balanced picture. And, um, yeah, you know, we often use that verse, um, speak up for the voiceless um, from Proverbs. Um, And I think we we need to have that with a little bit of of nuance, don't we? Because often it's not Mm -hmm. that that they're voiceless, it's that they're deliberately silenced and ignored. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the the third type you have is evangelist to seeker. Yeah, <laughs> that one might just um, provoke right, a few ruffle some buttons. feathers. <laughs> but yeah. let me explain. Let me explain. You know, and I love this. I love the way that Paul enters into Athens, mm-hmm. and um, one of one of his first acts, which I think is so just you know provocative, was to mm-hmm. go and examine all of their religious items, and um, to go and be a learner in the sense of oh, he's checking out all the idols. And he is seeking to discover how God is already in conversation with these people. Mm, That's what I mean mm-hmm. by seeker. Are we willing to listen first and ask God to open our eyes and seek to see 
what God is already saying in this context, in this culture, the ways that he's already revealed himself to these people. Um, Don Richardson wrote you know, a very famous book, Peace Child, where he uses the term redemptive analogies. And mm. um, it doesn't have to be some kind of clever key that unlocks the entire culture for everybody. It may just be simply, you know, within this religious ceremony, within this mm-hmm. celebration, within this action that you all love, there are seeds of the divine. There are, mm. there are signs of the spirit. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I say that equally for Western cultures as Eastern cultures and other cultures. God is mm. always at work, often in ways that we don't have eyes to see. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. I think that's something that's been impacting me of late is just hearing, um, you, I imagine you, you, you may be familiar with, I think it's Richard Blackaby, who him, I think was mm-hmm. worked in Canada for a time. You know, I feel like his work, maybe through his son, is kind of coming back into prevalence. And that was a key question, you know, where is God at work? How can I be a part yeah. of it? Yeah. That question has really been impacting me yeah. of late. Well, it's so true, but we often say, yeah, I want to see God at work, but it can't be in any other religion or strange cultural mm-hmm. um, expression. Um, mm-hmm. But in the book of James, it says every good thing comes from God. So where we see good, um, mm. can we not also see God? Where, where Buddhists try to practice nonviolence, is that not a, a good thing? Can't we applaud the fact that um, they are embracing uh, nonviolence now? Maybe not in the ways and with the nuance that we understand that, but mm-hmm. I, I think there's just a different posture, and this generation is not not resonating with this kind of um, antagonistic, aggressive Christianity that goes seeks to go up against others and and have a big fight. It's much more about right. lis- lis- listening to each other and saying, "What's God already saying to you?" And how can we can how can I be part of that conversation as well? Craig, it makes me think. I don't know, you know, I don't know when you spent your time in in Canada. I don't know if this part of '90s American conservative Christianity matriculated up to Canada. Mm. But I remember in my formative years, like so much of the culture of conservative American Christian culture was this like, let's go out and do battle and yeah. apologetics. And we're just going to like fight and win people yeah. over to yeah. Christ. Yeah. Um, like that's actually and all that work. language, right? It's so right. triumphalistic and conquering. Right. And right. yeah, there's a sense in which we conquer in the spiritual realm, but a lot of it feels like conquering other cultures and people, which uh, I don't mm-hmm. think sits right with us these days. Well, and perhaps we might say to your point there, Craig, like um, about Jesus and power, like the way that Jesus conquers power is not yeah. through power. Yeah. Um, I mean, at least my interpretation of the book, for example, of Revelation is Jesus. Jesus' victory is not through triumphalism and military defeat. It's through self-sacrifice and, and, right. and uh, right. flipping flipping expectations, so to speak. Yeah. Um, well, uh, the fourth uh the fourth model you have is pastor to midwife. Sure. Yeah, and this is kind of the classic one, isn't it? The the pastor mm-hmm. from Seattle goes to um, Senegal to um, plant a church. But, right. but what I want to suggest is that on, on that plane, we take off the hat of a pastor and put on the hat of a midwife. Mm-hmm. Uh, one who helps others, local people, insiders, uh, give birth to local communities of faith, whether it's the church or other other expressions of the communities of faith. 
And um, the, the reason for that is, you know, um, cultural understanding is so central to the way that mm-hmm. churches need to be formed. And we don't, our, our, you know, our mandate is not to go out and plant Hillsong churches all over Africa and Asia. I'm sorry <laughs> to say that. It's just not. Um, and I say that with a quasi Australian accent. Um, yeah. You know, it is to help local people discover what church is going to look like in their context. Hmm. I'll give you an example. Um, here in Cambodia, the first missionaries arrived and saw that Cambodians use incense to worship their ancestors mm-hmm. uh, and to worship spirits. And incense is just a central part of worship here. And yeah. so um, the, the first missionaries just banned it outright. So to, to right. this day, no, no Christians in Cambodia use incense. And the, their cultural, way, the, the ways that the church has been planted here look very foreign to other Cambodians hmm. um, as a result. And, and that's really sad because, you know, I mean, incense is used for worship all through the Bible. Why couldn't we right, right. redirect that worship? Um, in contrast, in Mongolia, um, the missionaries arrived and saw that um, yak milk is a very sacred kind of item. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when they would give thanks for their meal, they would toss a cup of yak milk into the air to the gods um, as an act of worship. And those, those missionaries were a little bit more savvy and they, they said, well, when you ta- toss your yak milk into the air, why don't you toss it to Jesus, the one true God? And, um, and so as a result, there's much more local cultural, um, expression of what it means hmm. to follow Jesus in, in Mongolia. And, um, obviously I'm speaking in huge generalities, but to make right. the point that when we put local people and leaders and Christian leaders, and I'm very much talking about a world now where there are, um, you know, even in Cambodia, which only has 1.7% Christians, I think. Um, there's still thousands of Christians here. Right. Um, and so, you know, it, it lends itself to the idea that we don't need to come and kind of guess what local Christianity could look like. We can partner with local, local people and help them to give birth to the church. Yeah. It, the, the model you talk about of, the example of that milk tossing and and the incense, you know, mm-hmm. it it makes me think a lot about one of the, you know, one of my questions here I'm going to ask you soon is about you know church planting even here in in my mm-hmm. neck of the woods in the states and how much these, uh, you know, asking people to kind of completely adopt a new culture because I you know I wonder if if part of the challenge and maybe this is something you can speak to more directly and and some implications, you know, is going somewhere and asking people to essentially adapt an entirely new culture and leave yeah. a culture behind is a big ask, right? Yeah. And, and not that we are not bringing a big ask to people. We're asking them to lay down their lives to follow Jesus. Right. right. But um, as, you know, as one African said, when you brought the bread of life to Jesus, you brought it in a plastic bag and shoved the whole thing down our throats. And so mm. what is, what, what are we actually bringing? Are we bringing yeah. the call to follow Jesus or are we calling all these, bringing all of these cultural trappings of the church mm-hmm. and the way yeah. that we think it should be done? You know, church has to be, you know, has to be like this, got to have a 30 minute sermon in the middle, got to have three songs right. of worship. Like right. where is, that's not, there's nothing like that. 
you know, that's our cultural interpretation of what church should look like. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'll give you another example, you know, just yeah. the way that we, we, you know, in church we pass around, you know, the offering bag. And it's very okay. clear what goes in the offering bag, right? It's meant to be money. If you come along right. with a right. chicken and stick a chicken in the offering bag, uh, you're going to have people looking at you funny. Um, and so, you know, missionaries planting churches in other parts of the world, they have an offering bag or a plate where you put money, and it's very clear what's supposed to go there. And yet many of these economies are not actually, you know, always based on money in the same way. Many people would love mm-hmm. to bring, you know, some rice that they have just harvested or chickens that they have just raised or those kind of things as an offering, um, which let's face it, it sounds even more biblical, doesn't it? Um, And so, again, we we need to just take time to step back and allow and work alongside and ask questions to help local people give birth, not to churches that they have seen online because then they're going to replicate the Hillsong model themselves and we're Mm -hmm. just going to be there patting them on the back, but to ask those, those probing questions of what would it really look like? What does it look like to make offerings in Cambodian culture, for example? Mm -hmm. You know, this is kind of an aside, but I'm remembering my grandmother uh, and, and my mom also from of course from my grandmother, even their kind of home garden, the first kind of first fruit, so to speak, again, biblical mm. model here, mm. they would give to the pastor just as yeah. a as Beautiful. that practice there. Yeah. 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 It's kind of what capitalism has done to our faith, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh the fifth model you have is teacher to guide. Yeah. Um you know, I think there are times when we need to teach some kinds of expertise or we're bringing some technical um, mm-hmm. approaches. You know, maybe we're training up surgeons or something like that. Um, but what I'm talking about here is is kind of the approach to how how we seek transformation in a community. And I believe that God is very, very interested in, in what, shalom, what it's going to look like to see shalom come. Um, mm. But the problem is that we often think that we know what what transformation will look like for people. And mm. so as teachers and those with power, we often bring the status quo. You know, we talk about, well, when this country's developed like the U.S., you'll have this, that, and the other. Um, but that's not necessarily the kind of shalom and transformation that God is looking for. And so we run the danger when we come with answers of um, bringing the wrong answers. Um, and so I think it's much wiser to act rather than a, as a teacher, as a guide. And, and probably pedagogically speaking, um, mm-hmm. you know, yep. Paulo More Freire effective. speaks about this, um, which just in one of the most interesting books I've ever read, Pedagogy of the Oppressed, um, huh. t- talks about how teachers are bearers of the status quo and they tend to download all the information in their heads to into the heads of their students. And so there's no room for change. There's Hmm. no room for challenging the status quo. Hmm. Mm -hmm. What he advocates instead and what I advocate in the book is is this questioning approach of what what would it look like to see change here and helping people to come up with the answers and the solutions for themselves. So let let me give you an example. Yeah. During COVID, um, we were locked down in Cambodia and it was a bit more, you know, people talked about tyranny in the West. Let me tell you, you have no <laughs> idea what tyranny looks like. We, we mm-hmm. were given an hour's notice before the soldiers came and started rolling out barricades with 
um, razor wire on the end of each of our streets. So we could not get wow. off our block. Um, wow. And then, you know, it's one thing for me. I have a fridge with some food in it. What about right. my neighbors who what they make each day is what they buy food that night. And so hmm. they were not able to work. People are starting to get really hungry. And so I jumped on a Zoom call with some of our Alongsiders leaders. Alongsiders is the youth discipleship movement that um, I'm a part of leading. Mm-hmm. And we basically we said, you know, we're on this Zoom and all these Cambodian leaders and we're saying, what are we going to do? And the usual model is, okay, how do we get a lot of rice in trucks and deliver it to poor people and solve their problem? Right, um, but that, right. that just simply wasn't going to be an option. And it's not really the Alongsiders ethos anyway. Mm-hmm. And and one of them said, well, what if we were to share our food and encourage mm-hmm. others to share their food? And so we came up with this kind of idea, and I think other people have done it around the world as well, but we basically were putting these tables out the front of our houses with a little sign in Cambodian language that said, those who have, please yeah. join us and add something to this table. But if you're in need, help yourself. It was much more pithy in Cambodian. Yeah. Um, and, and we made it a hashtag, and so... Um, we actually we started doing this, putting these little tables out, and then we took some photos, put them on Facebook hashtag, and tagged three of our friends and challenged them to do it. This was an idea that came from the Cambodian leaders themselves, hmm. and um, you know, as an outsider, my you know my natural instinct is to reach for my network, uh, the right. money I can raise. Right, um, there's sometimes a place for that, but that would have robbed them of the chance to see this beautiful movement of sharing go viral all over Cambodia. It was beautiful. Not just Christians right. participating, but non-Christians as well, all over the mm-hmm. country. Very cool to see. Yeah. It's interesting. I remember, you know, I'm kind of curious, like, how long that lasted. I remember in the States, even in my neighborhood, there was a small kind of, like, sharing table, mm-hmm. you know, down one of my mm-hmm. paths. Yeah. Um but, I mean, this you know, was a flash in the pan. It was during the lockdowns. Sure. Uh, the lockdowns lasted about a month. Um, so, And that's sometimes how the spirit works. The spirit right. blows through, and we appreciate the work of the spirit. We recognize and see the work of the spirit, and we thank God for that. That's a good, that's a good attitude. Um, you know, I think this – so much of what you're saying has its roots in, at least I would recognize, in what's called, for folks unfamiliar, asset-based community development. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that kind of that mutual sharing rather than just you as an outsider, like coming in and raising tons of money or delivering rice and trucks. Yeah. Um, I've recently been really wrestling with how to implement this more community involvement in a nonprofit I'm working with. Um mm-hmm. And you have this really intriguing example in the book of the feeding of the 5,000 as asset-based community yeah. development. Talk more about yeah. that. I'm just so intrigued by that. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's, the, it's just a wonderful example of, uh, of that, you know, where the disciples see this massive need and their first kind of gut response is, is the one that we see all around the world today, which is paralysis or apathy. Jesus, send them home. Right, you know, There's right, a problem. Right. Send them away. Um, and so that, that's kind of us washing our hands of, of what's going on in the world. Um, and so Jesus rejects that, of course. And so their next response is kind of the response of charity. And we've seen this for decades, um, you know, the charity response. You know, they say, should we go and 
spend half a year's wages to buy food from the next village, bring in outside resources, spend a lot of money, solve the problem for the people. Uh, it's basically the charity model. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that there's a, good, there's a good place for critiquing that model as well. Um, and Jesus also rejects it, interestingly enough. Um, and so there you have, the, we all know how this story unfolds, but this little boy, the one who's the most vulnerable, the most, you know, the most overlooked, and, his, and what he has to bring to the party is so pathetic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we usually only have eyes to see the pathetic nature of what local people have to offer. Um, mm-hmm. We have eyes to see only deficit. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jesus sees beyond that, and, of course, we know how it unfolds. And, you know, there's... There's so much um, of a miracle that takes place because there's room for faith, because there's room to look to Jesus, and because those who are poor and downtrodden get to participate. And I think Mm. that's a beautiful example of asset-based community development. Yeah, that is great. I love that. I love that perspective. Um, One of the the themes you've you've hinted at here, and certainly I wanted to talk about, is you know, you talk about this in the context of, you know, quote unquote, international mission work. I'm really intrigued. And I was really intrigued when I read this book about it in the context of kind of, even in, in the States here in the United States of church, a church planting effort or church planting movement. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cause all these, these themes of, you know, apostle to catalyst, prophet, ally, evangelist to seeker, pastor to midwife, teacher to guide, I think they can all be super relevant. Mm. So maybe I don't know the question if you want to talk maybe to that. And I'm also curious, yeah. like, is there ever a time like where, you know, you want to retain those kind of roles of how do you know when you're an insider? Cause I mean, to some extent, are we ever really insiders? I don't know yeah. if that makes sense. Sure. Um, you know, I'm passionate about movements as well. And I, I lead a discipleship movement that um, has just exploded over the last few years, um, grown into 30 countries. Um, and so w- these are some of the principles that we have discovered are the keys um, mm-hmm. of local ownership, of local local empowerment, of, of leaders rising up. Wherever there's no sense of ownership, there's, there's just no sense of responsibility. You know, how many of us um, wash a rental car when we re- when we return it? We wash our right. own car religiously because right. we own it. Uh, rental car, who cares? You know, who cares? Yeah. Um, and it's the same with ministry. It's the same with movements. And um, I actually believe that these principles are for any context where we're wanting to empower people. And we're wanting mm. people to have a sense of ownership. So whether you are a senior leader and wanting to see younger leaders rise up, uh, this is a good framework for that. Or whether you are working in a place where you are actually culturally an outsider, even if it's in your own country, um, and you're wanting to see something led and taken forward by insiders, um, then that's also relevant. But um, I think this posture of humility, this posture yeah. of listening, this posture of serving and not coming in flag waving and triumphalistic, I think resonates with this generation. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned it from your context, you know, the Hillsong mentality, right? Mm. Um, Certainly I see it in my neck of the woods. Uh, I don't think there's a Hillsong Denver, so to speak, but you know, Mm -hmm. there's other churches. I won't say their names who come in with that same kind of like, here we are, here we have it, you know, uh, it's very intriguing. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have, a, I need to, I need to take a break here and for sake of time, but let me ask you real quick before we do so, 
Uh, talk just real quick about the, the, you have five dangers in the book. I feel like it'd be amiss to not mm. at least touch on those. Sure. So um, I, I want to lay out in this book kind of the fivefold framework of the five missional types. Um, mm-hmm. But I also lay out five blind spots um, that we come, especially as Westerners working in cross-cultural contexts. Um, and I'll just briefly list those off. We won't have time to get into them, but it's the, the blind spot around power and the power that we hold, um, that we're very not, not, not often aware of. Um, there's the blind spot of complicity and that's around, you know, systemic issues. There's the blind spot of secularism. Um, you might, we might be actually surprised as Western Christians how secular we actually are, um, compared to Cambodians who, you know, when they get sick, it's prayer, you know, it's right, uh, looking right. to God. And uh, it's the blind spot of money. Because we are not poor, we often overlook how powerful money is in situations of poverty. And it takes a while to really get your head around how explosive money really is. And then finally, the the blind spot of individualism. And so in the book, I unpack each of those and it's really to give us, you know, a renewing of our minds because mm-hmm. we are bringing so much cultural stuff into these cross-cultural situations. Well, hopefully this leaves folks with just a little bit of a tease to go out and buy the book and read it for themselves. The book is Subversive Mission, Serving as Outsiders in a World of Need. And again, I want to recommend this, you know, I think this has for our listeners, practical implications, like Craig said, no matter the context you're working on, whether it's foreign, overseas, traditional type mission work, or even in a neighborhood, in a community, as part of a church. Um, Craig, let's take a quick break here, and we'll come back with some closing questions. All right, we're back with Craig Greenfield. And uh, Craig, really appreciate the conversation, really appreciate these perspectives here. Uh, these closing questions I always tell folks you can take these as seriously or not as you'd like to. Uh, but if you're Pope for a day, what might that day look like for you? <laughs> um, well, I, you know, one of the things that I love about Jesus is that uh, Jesus was the Prince of Peace. And we mm-hmm. live in a world today that is absolutely still being torn apart by violence. And I live in a country that was, you know, lost a third of its population to war. And so if I were Pope for a day, I think I would be um, trying to negotiate with governments around um, actions towards peace and nonviolence rather than the billions and billions and trillions that are spent on the machinery of war. I would be looking at what can we do to love our enemies and seek peaceful resolution. Yeah. Yeah. All right. A theologian or historical Christian figure you'd want to meet or bring back to life? Uh, look, I'm a, I'm a fan of Dorothy Day, um, who found uh-huh. the, the Catholic worker movement. I love how uh-huh. she, she spoke out against war, but also, um, and I love the way she frames her critique of the dirty, rotten system. I love that. But she came mm. with a vision for communities that welcome people on the margins, and that's been an inspiration for me through, throughout my life. Yeah, yeah, good. Um, what do you think history will remember from our current time and place? Um, well, you know, I mean, I actually spent a little bit of time in the West last year. I was in the United States, Canada, Australia, New Zealand. Um, and we feel 
it feels like we are so disconnected from the rest of the world. Eh? Um, you mm-hmm. know, we're, we're in our bu- cultural bubbles. We listen to news mm-hmm. about our own countries. And there's right. a whole wide world out there. And um, we, we have the internet, but we seem to become even more and more cocooned. Right. Right. And um, I think we'll look back and, and realize, wow, we were really disconnected from one another. And we lack perspective in many ways because of that. Yeah, isn't that has to be one of the... That has to be perhaps the I don't know if the the, the greatest irony of yeah. our time is that for how right yeah. for how connected and like information and connection to all sorts of perspectives and mm. and news from across the globe is available instantaneously at our fingertips, yet we are becoming more and more yeah. um, isolated, insulated, insulated, yeah, and isolated, yeah. right, yeah. right. Yeah. Um, what are your th- hopes for the future of Christianity? Um, look, I, I hope we'll discover, rediscover Jesus who who came to proclaim good news to the poor. Uh, mm. it, it's very interesting to me that both those on the on the right and on the left um, who have their things that they are passionate about, no one's talking about the poor. Even even on the left, where traditionally they should supposed to be talking mm-hmm. about the poor, they're actually talking about other things these days. And and I I hope that as Christians would rediscover this Jesus who said blessed are the poor. I've come to bring mm. good news to the poor. That's my mission here on this earth, and mm-hmm. and realize that um, you know Jesus is with those who are on the margins. Yeah, uh, where can people connect with you? Um, so I have a website, craiggreenfield.com, um, just my name. Uh, where I have a blog, and you can actually take a free um, missional types test on there and download a free PDF um, that describes all the five types. Uh, my organization, Alongsiders International, and working in 30 countries, a discipleship movement that's growing fast, is at alongsiders.org. Um, and then I have a Facebook page as well. So those are probably the best places to connect in. Great. And I assume the book available wherever books are sold? That's right especially in North America. <laughs> Not so much awesome. in Asia and Africa. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate appreciate the conversation. I always uh, leave folks with a word of peace. So may God's peace be with you. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future-christian.com. One more thing before you go, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. And if you're feeling especially generous, leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people about the podcast. The Future Christian Podcast is a production of Torn Curtain Arts and Resonate Media. Our episodes were mixed by Danny Burton, and the production support is provided by Paul Romaglevitt. Thanks, and go in peace. Peace.